good evening, everyone. <laughs> we are beginning a brand new series tonight. And so this series that we're going through is a series called Crossroads, and it's going to take us all the way up to Easter. So we're calling it the Journey to Easter. And what we're studying is, according to the book of Luke, we'll be looking at some of the final events in the life of Christ. And what we want to explore is what are the decisions? Why is this the backdrop for the circumstance or the events that happened for Easter? What was going on? And what are some of the decisions that Jesus made leading up to it? The idea of crossroads, crossroads, the actual definition of that, it's a point in time in which a crucial decision has to be made that leads to a significant change in direction. So we, we're thinking about this and thinking, what if anything changed and went differently leading up to Easter? What are the things that Jesus actually thought through and said, I'm going to make this decision knowing what the end is, knowing what he's leading to, and it had a significant change in direction or course, uh, change of the course of human history, essentially, when we think of those events. So we're going to be studying over the next several weeks uh, the last couple days of the life of Christ. When I was thinking about crossroads, I think that there's uh, many times when we look back at our own lives and think where we are today, what are the decisions that you made or maybe the decisions you did not make that led you to where you are to this day? I was thinking many years ago, my wife and I were on vacation in the Northeast, uh, one of my favorite parts of the country to be able to kind of tour around, enjoy the Northeast, see some baseball games up there of, you know, Mecca, the home of the Boston Red Sox up there in Fenway Park. So uh, we were doing that, and on the end of our trip, we went down to New York City and uh, went, went there and saw another Red Sox game there. I forgot who they were playing, but it was in Yankee Stadium. And um, so we were just enjoying that trip, but when we went on the trip, uh, originally, it was going to be a certain length of time, and we decided before we left, we said, you know what, let's shorten it by one day and just bump everything up on our itinerary just because we had a kid at home, and we thought we want to get home a day earlier than originally we thought. So we just moved everything up one day. So on that trip, on our last day of the trip, um, we did kind of the typical New York City tourist thing. We were down in Manhattan and, and Wall Street, and this is while the trade towers were still there. So um, on this day, we were at the trade towers, taking pictures, kind of doing the whole thing right down there around Wall Street and, and uh, that f financial district. And uh, just normal day. That night, we got on a plane. It was an all-night flight, essentially, kind of the red eye coming back this way. And uh, when we got on the plane, the pilot said, hey, there's a terrible thunderstorm going on tonight. And so here's the thing, we're going to still go, but we're going to wait here, and it's going to be about a three-hour delay where we're going to have to sit here at the gate. So you have to decide right now if you want to stay in the plane during the storm, and then we'll leave, or you can get off, and we'll be happy to rebook you, and you can leave tomorrow morning on Tuesday morning if you want. You can fly out. So we kind of talked about it, and we thought, well, one of, we have a kid at home. My mom was babysitting. Already she had him for a week, so we thought... You know what? Let's just power through. We'll watch the movie uh, that they entertained us with, Doctor Doolittle. Fantastic! And and uh, so we sat there during the thunderstorm and flew home that Monday night. Got home very early, probably on Tuesday morning. And when we arrived on Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, we got back home, and we didn't know what was going to go on that day. But it's interesting when we look back sometimes at our lives. And what are the decisions that you make and you, that lead you to where you are or decisions you don't make? Now, I don't know what would have happened. We might have been fine. We 
might have at least, at the worst case scenario, probably would have had a week longer of a vacation in New York City. But who knows? But when we think of this series that we're looking at is, what if Jesus didn't make the decisions he made? What would that mean for us? If he didn't go through with the plan? And so we want to explore this and learn what is it that we learn about the character of our God through this story? And then also, how does that cause us to respond? When we truly see and understand who he is, what does that do in our hearts that causes us to respond to this God? So pray with me as we get started in this series. God, we thank you so much again for tonight. And Lord, I know in a room this size that there are people who are here perhaps carrying a heavy burden tonight. Maybe a burden of shame, maybe a burden of, of doubt, of wondering if you're really real. Lord, maybe this burden from life. There's been circumstances and things that have happened that are hard to bear. So God, tonight I pray that wherever we're at, Lord, that you would meet us here. You'd speak to each one of us. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to grow in our belief in who you are. And we want to be transformed because of you. And so we ask that you'd speak to us in this place tonight. In your name, amen. All right, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 22. And uh, we're going to go there briefly, and then we're also going to go to Exodus chapter 12. So just a little heads up on where we are going. So Luke 22 is where we're starting off this series. Now, I, got to, I have to let you know that though I said we're studying in order the, the events of the, week of, uh, the last week of the life of Christ, you, some of you are very literal and you'll find, well, it seems like we're jumping in the middle. We are. We're doing a little bit of a Tarantino thing where we're kind of starting here and when we get to Palm Sunday, we're going to go back to the beginning and then jump around a little bit. A little bit. So if you are very literal on that, just bear with us. It's okay. We're studying the events in the life of Christ slightly out of order. But now what we're looking at tonight is we found that he has already entered into Jerusalem for the final time. And he's had some interactions with people. Now in chapter 22 of Luke, verse 1 and 2 is where we are tonight. Starts off and says, Now the feast of the unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and scribes were seeking how they might put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of the people. Now we're going to stop right there. The context of the story here, anytime you're reading through scripture and the author gives you details, details that set the tone, we want to understand why did he give us these details. In this case, the detail was the time that this took place. It took place during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and during Passover week. So why, and when you hear that, you need to ask, well, why is that significant? Why is that the setting? If it wasn't significant, perhaps the author Luke would just say it was springtime. But there's something specific about this, and that is why he mentioned it. Also, here we have the context of the chief priests and scribes were looking for a way to capture Jesus but they were afraid of the people. They were afraid because there's rumors that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, there was momentum believing that he was Messiah. On Palm Sunday, he entered in and people proclaimed this, this, very, this song that proclaimed that he was a Messiah. We'll look at it in a couple weeks. And so they didn't want to arrest him in front of the crowds. They needed to find a time in which they could do that. So, but it was during Passover week. And Passover week, the population in uh, Jerusalem would have multiplied by not just doubled, but it just was by tens of thousands of more people in the city uh, during this time. So that's the context of what, when it's happening. Now, 
why this week? Why did Easter happen during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, during Passover? What is the significance of that? Why didn't it just happen any other time, or does that even matter? And for us to really see why it matters, now I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. If you have a digital version, just poke your way there, and we get to Exodus chapter 12. Now, in the book of Exodus, this is a story of the nation of Israel that at one point was in bondage in Egypt. They were living as slaves in Egypt, and through a series of events, God was working through Moses uh, to get the nation of Israel delivered out of Pharaoh's control, out of Egypt, and then back into their land. And so the story of Exodus is, is the events that led up to that. Now, by this point on chapter 12, God had sent a series of plagues um, on Egypt as a way of saying, hey, set my people free. These are things I'm demonstrating to you that I'm God, I am in control. And many of those plagues kind of represented the different gods that the Egyptians would serve. And so God of Israel saying, no, I'm o- above and over all of those. And the final one was this, was this angel of the Lord came and brought death to the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. Now, that sounds pretty gruesome. It's something that we'd say, well, how can God do that? Which we'll answer another time. But the one thing that happened is he said, if any of you want to avoid this plague, here's a command to you. To sacrifice a pure and spotless lamb and take the blood of that lamb, put it on your doorpost at night, and I will pass over your home. Now, immediately when we hear this in 21st century Western society, we think, that's kind of gruesome. Really? Kill a lamb? Put the blood on your doorpost? What is going on here? Is this just to appease the gods? What is this? But in the ancient world, they would have heard this and it made perfect sense. They would say, okay, you want us to kill a lamb? Put, it, put the blood there. According to the tradition of the Israelites, there was no forgiveness of sins, came through the shedding of blood, and so there was always a sacrifice involved in, in God's grace getting poured out on the people. So here he says, I want you to sacrifice the lamb. And in this case, they got to eat the Passover lamb. But take the blood and put it over your doorpost, and and I will pass over your house. So that's where the word Passover and the feast of the Passover started from. And so they would do that that night. Now they were asked to eat that meal while standing up. And it said to have your belts on, essentially being ready to run, being ready to leave at any point in time. So the original Passover meal, they were to stand, and and that was actually the posture of a slave, but it was also the posture of someone who was saying, I'm ready to leave. Now, once they left the land of Egypt, the Passover meal in the future, in the time of of Jesus, they would eat it while reclining, which we're going to study that meal next week. And by the way, the evening service we're going to do is something a little bit different for that, and we're going to give you some extra elements of that uh, meal and kind of talk through the symbolism of it. So you get the bonus thing. You guys are the favored children next week. Just saying. But so the Passover meal happened, and then after that is what was called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And this is a part of that meal. He said, I want you to eat unleavened bread. Now, why unleavened bread? Because leavened bread is is essentially bread where you put the yeast in it, and it takes time to rise. And the very first uh, feast of the unleavened bread, the very first Passover meal, they had unleavened bread because God said, I am going to take you from here, and you need to be prepared to leave at any point in time. 
So the first feast, the original feast, was a demonstration of trust that God will come through as he promised. That God will come through just as he promised. That was what that unleavened bread actually represented. And if you said, well, I don't know if God's really going to come through tonight. I'm not sure if he's going to show up. So I'm just going to bake the normal bread. I, in, the difference is like French bread versus saltine crackers, you know? So, so I would rather have the French bread, but God said, no, be prepared to leave. So anyone who said, no, you know what? We don't believe you'll come through. We have plenty of time. Might, may have made their own kind of bread, but he said, no, this is your act of trust. A trust that God will come through as he promised. So the original Passover that ate unleavened bread is a symbol to say, God, we're ready. You said you're t- coming. You said you're delivering us. So we will take the step of faith. Think of your lives that you live. What are the times in your life where you've had to take a step of faith and trust that God would come through as he promised? It might be little things like when you uh, share of your possessions or money or you give or of your time or of relational equity, things like that. You're trusting that God will still come through as he promised, that he'll still take care of you, that you will have what you need. Those are little steps of faith. But what are the other defining moments in your life as you look through where we had to take those steps? This was one of those moments for the nation of Israel, the first feast of unleavened bread. Now, after that, let's look at verse 14 of Exodus chapter 12. God says this, Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generation, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, But on the first day, you shall remove the leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person will be cut off from Israel. That sounds pretty extreme, doesn't it? But the original command is eat the unleavened bread, be prepared to leave. And then from this day forward, every year, celebrate this. Some of you may maybe grew up in a Jewish home or you have friends who are Orthodox or practicing Judaism. They celebrate the Passover in a week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread every single year. My family had the opportunity to live in Israel, and when we were living in Israel, we noticed that this feast was more important and more prevalent than you'll see ever in the United States. And in that very first day leading up to Passover, people would clean and clean and clean to make sure that there is no sign of leaven in their homes. To the point where they would scrub and use a toothpick in between your tiles and your kitchen just in case there's any leaven there. Some families would actually paint their kitchen every year right before Passover just in case they missed some leaven. In the supermarkets in Israel, they would have no bread or no leaven in the store during that week. In fact, they would close the aisles. The bread aisles would be blocked off and covered with blankets so that during that week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you couldn't even see where the leaven used to be. Now, that sounds really extreme for us, but think of this. The command is to every year, make sure you remove all the leaven from your house or you'll be cut off from Israel. In other words, it's so important that you as a nation remember what I have done and remember that in the original feast, I came through as I promised. And now from this day forward, it's to remind you of who I am as God and how I delivered. In fact, in the future, we find that the feast now is about, and at the time of Christ, it no longer was an act of seeing or trusting that God would come through as he promised, but believing that he did. 
And it was believing that you no longer live in the past. In fact, the feast now remembers that the, it is a symbol, symbolic of the fact that the past is past. That you used to live in bondage and in slavery in Egypt. But that's over now. That this feast every year would remind them that you no longer have this as your identity. You're no longer slaves. You are free. Now, can you start to see how this is significant as the week of Easter? The very week when the nation of Israel is remembering that God physically took them from physical slavery to physical freedom is the same week that God takes us through his son from spiritual slavery and bondage to spiritual freedom, the forgiveness of sins once and for all. So it is, this is the backdrop. I was thinking of this Feast of the Unleavened Bread and, and, and remembering that our past is the past. And, and what does that mean for us to this, to this day? When we think of our own spiritual lives, sometimes it's important for us to remember where we've been so that we keep going where we're going. Sometimes it's really good to look back. I, I was thinking even on kind of a superficial example here, but a few weeks ago, one of my sons and his friend and I, we went up to Big Bear. It was after one of the storms and there's all the snow and it was a couple days after the snow, so the, the roads were totally clear. But we started driving and we got to the bottom of the road as you start heading up to Big Bear and a big sign said, make sure you have, or you, chains are required to have in your vehicle at all times. And as I drove past that sign, I started thinking, well, you know, we recently moved and I think the chains are in here. I'm not sure if the chains are in here. No, I'm like 25% sure the chains are in here. So we're fine. So, um, so I kept driving up the road and just thought, that's okay, we have them. And, and then we got about a few miles up the road and then there's a bunch of people pulled over and they're putting chains on and the road was still perfectly clear. So I looked at that and I thought, okay, we pulled over. And I asked, and I said, hey, do we really need to put on chains? And, and no one really knew. They said, well, yeah, I think so. And it was like this group mob mentality, but there was no checkpoint. But they were all putting on chains. So I looked in the back of our van, and I found out I was right. We didn't have chains. So, um, so I looked at that, and, and I thought, well, okay, you know what? There's no one checking. The roads are perfectly clear. I've driven in way worse many, many times. It's fine. And so we kept driving up the road. And we went another like 15, 20 miles up the road and all the people who were putting on chains were just kind of thumping their way up the road and I was driving with ease and thinking, those suckers are taking forever and we're just driving up here, no big deal. Until we got to the final turn right before we get up to Big Bear and there was a bunch of cars pulled over again and there was a checkpoint and there was someone there blocking the road. And so I pull over and said, what's going on? Like now you need to put on chains. And I realized, okay, now I'm kind of stuck. I'm gonna either have to drive a whole hour down the road, find a, a Walmart or something, and then drive all the way back and I'll be behind all the other people who have been putting on chains. Do I really wanna go through all that? And fortunately, there's very entrepreneurial people in the world. And so I found someone up there and um, I was able to buy this $25 pair of chains for only $80. It was really great. <laughs> And we kept going. But when I think of that, at that point, I was thinking, we've come all this way. We know where we're going. I don't want to go back there. I told you it's a superficial example of a spiritual reality. But sometimes when we look at our lives and we remember our past, it helps us to keep going where we're going. When we say, okay, God, I, you've taken me 
from this place. You've taken us from Egypt. And now we have a new identity. Now, there's a few things about our past, though. Our past is still a part of our story. We are shaped by our past. And God wants us to be shaped by our past. But he doesn't want us to be shackled by our past. That we shouldn't be chained to who we used to be. And I was thinking, that is actually the whole story of Easter, what it's all about. It's interesting that Jesus comes in on this very week where you remember the past, and how does the Easter story actually redeem it? There's a few thoughts I have for it. When we think of what Christ did on the cross through his death and his resurrection, what he did for us, here's a few things that how it relates to our past and how the story of Easter, how the, this is the real good news of Jesus, how it kind of redeems this part of our story. There's a few thoughts for you here tonight. One, it redeems the embarrassment for those who are embarrassed from where you came from. Sometimes you look at your past, you look at some of the things you've done, some of the things you've thought. Maybe it's an hour ago or a day ago. And we can very easily get caught up in that. We can very easily allow that embarrassment of maybe past decisions or past sins or whatever it might be, things that have happened to you, to bring you shame and leave you there. In fact, I believe the enemy of God wants nothing more than for you to keep remembering and feeling shame over what has happened in your past. The story of Easter is Jesus says, I want you to know that there's freedom from that. The good news says that that past is over and there is new life for you. That's really what the whole story of Easter is about. So we are shaped by our past, but we're not shackled by it. It's part of your story, but God wants to redeem it. I was thinking even in my own life when I became a Christian, I was in high school and I was a skater and just kind of living a tip, like a typical high schooler. And when I first became a Christian, um, my family moved soon after that to a Seattle area. And I no longer was hanging out with my old friends and my old life and all that. And I used to think, this is a really good thing because now I'm not around my old friends. I'm not, you know, around my old life and it's easier for me to be a Christian. But then I realized later on that actually that story, that part of who I was, became part of my message. It was something that shaped me, and I worked in youth ministry for m many years, and I looked at a lot of the students who we were reaching in our youth groups, and they were a bunch of kids who were just like me. And God took my past, and I no longer had to be embarrassed by it, but actually to see how God used it and redeemed it to bring life to others. So Easter reminds us that your past is done and there's new life. The other thing is this, Easter reminds us or it speaks to those who have pride over the good decisions you made. Some of you were born into perfect families, you had perfect parents, you uh, lived a perfect life with your perfect siblings, and some of you have even um, made decisions, you got married to a perfect person. And that perfect person married a perfect person, and you had perfect kids. And life is good, and you look at where you are and think, man, I made the right decision of what career, I made the right decision of how we spend our money, and you look back and think, man, I'm kind of like God's gift to mankind. <laughs> now, I don't know if many of you would say that today. That's a very extreme thought. But some of us do have this pride about where we're at. Maybe it's subtle. Maybe it's a pride that says, man, Lord, I'm so grateful that I didn't make the decisions of some of the people I see around me. I'm so grateful that I ended up where I ended up. I must have done something right. The Easter story actually even saves us from that. 
It tells us that the good news of Jesus is it's by God's grace alone that we are where we are. The good and the bad. We find God's grace in those moments. And we find that there but by the grace of God go I. The Easter story is there's grace for all of us and none of us can do this on our own. But we have Christ who stepped in for us. Another way that the Easter story redeems our past as it reminds us that nothing is outside of the eyes of God or nothing is outside of his plan. Now, you might look at this and say, well, if nothing's outside of God's looking at my life and observing me, if, if, if this is what life is like with God paying attention, then I don't want to see what life is like if he's not paying attention because for some of you, you think this isn't very good. I've had a brutal road. I've had hard things happen. The Easter story tells us and reminds us that the world is broken and it is not as it should be. That even in the world we live in, we live in a world filled and tainted by sin. And so even on the best days, it's still not the way it's meant to be. And the Easter story reminds us that Jesus came, the very reason he came is because we're in a broken world. And then finally, the last thought of how it relates to our past and, and redeeming it is this. The Easter story also reminds us that one day, this will all be made new. That Jesus entered in and said, this is not how it's supposed to be, and this is not as good as it gets. Is that good news or what? That this world is not as good as it gets? I think we live in a great world. We all live in North San Diego County. It doesn't get much better than this. But this is not as good as it gets. Jesus is making all things new, and he has something better for you and for me. So if this is the story, if this is tonight what we're looking at, Jesus enters in, and this all takes place during Passover. What is our response? What is the crossroads for us tonight? What does this mean for us? Okay, we, our past is in the past, and, and God's redeemed it. We're not shaped, or we're shaped by it. We're not shackled by it. So what? What does that mean? How, how should we respond to this message tonight? I want to invite you to turn your Bibles uh, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or I have it on the screen for you. But if you'd like to see it for yourself, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in this passage, this is one of those passages that in the future we're going to do another one of these series that says, why is this in the Bible? Or what, what does this really mean? This is kind of a challenging chapter. It's talking about a church in Corinth that was really messed up. They, they were a church that you look at and think, for me, I think, I am glad I'm not the pastor of that church. So they had some issues that they were dealing with. And one of their issues is that they were tolerating, and in some ways, they didn't really care if people were living in sin and their, their church didn't look much different than the rest of their culture. Some would say, well, what's different about you Christians? You act just like everyone else. So Paul is addressing that here in verse 6 of chapter 5. He says this, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough? And by the way, Ever since the uh, Feast of the Unleavened Bread for the nation of Israel, they used leaven of, often represented sin. It represented your old life. It represented Egypt. So when he says use new leaven or rid yourself of leaven, it was get rid of that old life. Jesus uses it as an example. Paul uses it as well. He says clean out the old leaven, your old life, so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact, you are unleavened. 
that old life is gone. It's not a part of you. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What Paul is speaking about here is this. Because God has redeemed our past, because he has stepped in and you are not shackled by it, he says, why do we keep living like that? You've been set free from the life in Egypt, so why do you live like you're in Egypt? Why don't you live like you are now, you have a new life? In other words, Paul is speaking to the church and saying, why would you tolerate living the life of sin that you used to live before Christ redeemed and changed you? Get rid of the old leaven. Surrender your lives to Christ. Have this passion for him to say, Jesus, I want to be transformed by who you are and made new by you. So get rid of the old leaven. He says, let's surrender that part of our lives. Let's not live as if we are still in chains in Egypt. I know when you hear that, some of you maybe hear that and think, that's a hard task. Some of you, your whole Christian life, you've been trying to overcome sin and struggles in your life, and it keeps coming up. Well, I have to tell you, this is an ongoing process. You will be struggling with your sin nature until... Well, the rest of your life. When you're done struggling with it, you will know that you are in the ground and on your way to heaven. So take heart and know that God is not waiting for you to become perfect. In fact, the only one who can perfect you is Christ. But that still should not be an excuse for us to say we don't care. It's easy to just rest in God's grace but never respond to it. I know for me, I love the message of the grace of God. I love the story that my past, my present, and my future sins are, saved, are, are forgiven. I love that. I love that no matter what I do, I can't change what God, Christ has done on the cross for me. That his power is enough. And if he's enough to save me, he's enough to keep me saved. That's great news. But I don't ever want to be a person who says, Thank you, Jesus. Now I can do whatever I want because your grace will save me. Is that true? I do believe his grace is that strong. The good news is that scandalous. But because he's so good, it causes me to say, I don't want to live that life. I want to forget what's behind and press on, as Paul said, towards what's ahead. I want to throw everything off that keeps me from knowing my Lord and living for him. And so our response in light of this is don't let the past shape you, or I mean, define you in that way. It shapes you, but don't let it shackle you. Let's surrender our lives to Christ. Let him transform us and shape us into the people he wants to make us. I love this quote by Phillips Brooks. He's an early American pastor. He says this, the only way to, rid, to get rid of your past is to make a future out of it. God will waste nothing. You know, some of you are here this, tonight and feeling like your past is what's defining you. The sin is defining you. It's shaping you. You can't get away from it. But we're reminded the only way to get rid of that is to make a future of it. God will not waste those moments in your life. He won't waste those mistakes. He'll take your mess and he'll make it into your message. And he wants to shape you from that. You're no longer shackled by your past. When we remember the 11 bread, it reminds us that God came through as he promised 
and that our past is in the past. I want to invite the worship team back up, and we're going to respond with one final song here. And as we respond, I just want to challenge you tonight to maybe consider and think about what is it that God's speaking to you? What is it in your life that maybe from your past that keeps creeping in and you keep letting that shackle you or hold you back? What is it that you need to surrender and just say, God, I want this to no longer be a part. This can define me, but I don't want it to confine me. And so we're gonna sing one final song and as we do this, I wanna just challenge you if you want to just sit and reflect, to sit and reflect. If you wanna stand, would you please stand? If you wanna raise your hands, you wanna kneel, whatever it is, let's use this time to respond to the good news and the message that says you no longer are in Egypt, but you have a new life and it's built on what Christ has done. So pray with me. Lord God, we thank you so much for this time and I thank you that, Lord, as we look at our lives and our past, sometimes it can feel so heavy. That, Lord, the weight of maybe something we've been through, something we've done, something that was done to us feels like that is going to shape us forever and there's no way out. But God, tonight we want to just lay that down before you we want to trust that you've come through in the past and that you have a different future for us. Lord, so help us to not live like we're still in slavery, but Lord, to live as free people, set free because of what you have done with our lives built upon you. So we thank you for this time now, Lord, and we give you our praise. Receive our praise now, Jesus. In your name, amen.